Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Vent. This is Vent Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Get cracking. Sabrina. Santos. Vent Weekly. We've had a request from another young person in Brent, Marian, and that's what we're talking about today. Being an Iraqi and Shia Muslim myself, I often find my culture and religion misrepresented in the Western media. I want to ask about why there are such ingrained misunderstandings about Iraq and the Shia faith, particularly as we approach Arba'in, a pilgrimage that takes place this month in Karbala. Today we're joined by fellow Brentonian Mariam Alexumi and documentary photographer Emily Garthwaite to talk about how Iraq is represented in the UK media. Could you guys introduce yourselves? Hey, I'm Emily Garthwaite. I'm a British photojournalist and I've been working in Iraq for the past few years, mostly focusing on the Shia Muslim community. And that work has taken me around the UK and the US, looking at how Iraqi communities live outside of Iraq. Nice. Hi, everyone. I'm Mariam. I'm 19 years old and I'm an Iraqi myself and I'm also Shia, which is like a small minority sectarian group within Islam. I'm really looking forward to discussing everything today. So like you just mentioned, Miriam, you said you're a Shia Muslim from Iraq whose parents immigrated to the UK. So could you talk a little bit about Iraq as a place and what it's like? I guess everyone has their own take on Iraq. The Western media sort of imagines it as deserts, bombs. Mm. Mm -hmm. Me coming from Iraq, personally, I don't see it as that. I see it as family. I have a lot of, all my family live there. I only have my immediate family in the UK, which is not typical. I know a lot of friends who have nearly all their extended family over here, which is really fortunate for them. I see it as like my culture, my ethnicity, everything I know comes from there. Yeah, because that's your home, isn't it? So why would you see it? in any other way so I totally get that does like your family have a different perspective of what it's like here I mean when they first moved here obviously they saw it like just like anyone else immigrating to the UK it was sort of a big culture shock at the end of the day they just wanted like safety for future family which is of course myself and my sisters it's different for them but more more so in a good way especially because of safety and whatnot so it's pretty chill Mm. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. it's pretty good Mariam, you were born in the UK when the UK invaded Iraq. Like, how were you affected by that? Well, obviously I was really young, so I don't really remember much of it. But it was a very big turning point for my country because at that time we had Saddam Hussein, who was like the dictator at the time in Iraq. And he was a very controversial leader. Some people loved him, some people hated him. But just like Nazi Germany, everyone had to appreciate him like, and, and not sort of show their despised towards him so during the Iraq war like the the very start or the turning point of it was the assassination of Saddam Hussein and 
it changed my country because like at least back then we had some sort of leader ever since his assassination we've had nothing no one wow i'm um, just like different people taking over power taking over money taking over like whatever they want from a government but not actually helping people if anything just making things worse and that's been happening over and over and over again still till this day and then of course mm. covid comes in to the mix and things just get worse so who's taking over is it just like a prime minister or is it the army what it's usually regular prime ministers people who who come from so some people from like relatively well off backgrounds some people from like lower class backgrounds who just come to power get whatever they need from there and then leave or or something like that it's very corrupt that is very corrupt yeah people coming in coming out some people not even from the country like we had the US invade Iraq as well and that shook everything as well it's a very messy yeah. playground it's a shame. Iraq <laughs> it's very messy emily what are some of the misconceptions about Iraq in the UK you know the media has every right to share some of the incredible difficulties that Iraq has faced and I'm I'm pleased that they are being reported. You know you look at what happened with Abu Ghraib, you look at um the invasion 2003, the covering of the the protests when Tony Blair said we were going to go to war. I think there's a lot of coverage that's very very important mm. and I don't think a lot of us um I mean I was very young at the time but could have really understood what it meant when we invaded. So there's a rightful place for all of that reporting. But there is nothing on the other side, and when you don't have diversity in your storytelling, and there are no shades of grey, it 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 does breed things like Islamophobia, and a real a real hatred to communities from the Middle East, and everyone gets bracketed together, and people are seen like a threat, and these misconceptions grow and grow and grow, and I'm a generation that has grown up with that, and I've seen. among people i know like locally and how fearful they are of the other and i think the media has an amazing and brutal ability to other people so quickly within a matter of months i think that's why it's good that we do this podcast as well because like yourself i only knew iraq as like bombs and dust and i didn't really know anything more and i also studied it in history and politics and when you study it at school as well it's very one sided and very biased and and how like you said tony blair invaded and more tony blair side than anything so i think if you're learning it like that also in school from a young age it can already like make your mind biased and see like you said one sided views cuz i didn't see the other view and miriam like you said you're a shia muslim and you're of shia faith which i know is different from like sunni muslims cuz i came from like a multicultural school and there were actually very heated debates in our school between those two muslims and for an outsider you're just like oh my god but aren't they both muslim like it's kind of confusing exactly so what do you think the misconceptions are of your shia faith cuz i know there's a lot of bad interpretations well there's kind of like this annual thing that happens with us where like and the question starts to rise in, in that particular time of year um and we're approaching it now during muharram it's very holy month for us shias um and it's very very important to us and it's in that particular time where questions from other sects or other religions come in and start asking us 
things. And sometimes they ask like the most extreme questions. There's this thing that uh, what, the most common question is, oh, do you guys hit yourself in this month? I've heard that. Or do you guys stab your head I've in this month? That. Yeah, even exactly. Like even people who aren't from the religion and like don't know much of it have heard this question probably. And I remember when I first got asked that question I was like back in year seven bearing in mind my primary school I was the only Muslim more or less so when I moved to my secondary school where there was a lot of Muslims and it was like Sunni and Shia and whatnot I was just bombarded with those questions and at the time I didn't even know much about it myself and then I started getting shocked about what my supposedly my own beliefs were about stabbing myself or whatever but it's all just you know when when people have this misconception um, like you guys were saying people are indoctrinated by false information they think that uh, or like extreme information is is all that's broadcasted it's a very controversial thing even within our sect like this whole thing it's called tatabir like where you stab yourself i mean stab your head to commemorate an important member of our community you should explain you should explain what the month of muharram is it's important okay so the month of muharram is based on a very tragic event that happened 1400 years ago. And what happened was there was this battle between the Prophet's family and specifically Imam Hussein, who is the Prophet's grandson. So his Prophet's family versus people who just want to shut down the Islamic religion, Islamic faith. So this battle is obviously really important because it's like determining whether Islam is going to exist or specifically like the legacy of the prophet is going to exist and as you can imagine it was very brutal it's just really important to us because without the sacrifice of the prophet's family I wouldn't be believing in the stuff I have to like I believe in today yeah the, there's rituals that we we do to put forward this legacy and continue it um I think Emily would see that herself like in when you go to the Arabian walk we do like visitations or pilgrimage in Iraq, like in Karbala, where, where he's buried. Millions and millions of people go to visit him. And it just shows how his legacy is growing and growing and growing. That gets back to the, the issue with the media. So I found out about the Arbayan pilgrimage a few years ago. And you've got like people going to Mecca, you know, you've got Hajj and, and everyone knows about that. And um, you've got Hindu and Christian pilgrimages that we're all familiar with, but I'd never heard about this pilgrimage. And it's up to 25 million people a year go over a 40-day exactly. period. Very large number. Yeah, there was nothing in the press. You'll see a lot because um, Iran is, uh, you know, Shia majority. So you'll see a lot of press in Iran about it for obvious reasons. But outside of Iran and Iraq, it's almost totally unreported and I'm not quite sure why. Unless something catastrophic happens. Yeah, unless there's unless a bombing. Something, people yeah, love, which people happened, love to report a bombing. Exactly, which happened back in 2004. There was like the Ashura bombing that happened. It killed like 175 people. Well, actually, there was one last year just after Ashura. I don't know whether you, you saw it in the news, Marion, but there was, I was in Kabbalah and it was after Ashura, maybe like a few days after, and there was like a bus bombing. And it was the craziest thing ever because I got a text message from a friend who was like down the road from it and we were all really close by and he was like, there's been a bombing. And then my phone like starts to like vibrate and it's like Washington Post. And within, without any fact checking, to be honest, they'd said like X amount of people have died. It happened here. It was up like instantly. They were straight on it and there had been no bombings actually in that area for a really long time. I think it was not since like 2011 or 2010. 
And um, I thought it was so interesting because it was misinformed. It didn't happen where they said it had happened. They hadn't, the police um, and the the investigators hadn't at this point proved that it was by ISIS. It actually it was. But for a long time, everyone in the local area, no one really knew. But it had already been reported as a terrorist attack. People had been killed. It was like mismanagement. And that's when I realised that this is so dangerous because I'm able to literally fact check this article and none of it is correct yet and you've you've caused hysteria but that's why you know our buy-in is really extraordinary and I I learned so much about your community and you have all welcomed me in around the world Mm -hmm. because I've seen through Instagram like a lot of young Muslim Iraqi women who are messaging me saying like my dad refuses to go back to Iraq he's too scared I forced him we're taking a family holiday like I've shown him your Instagram and I was like this white British girl's gone like we've got to go (laughs) so I'm interested to hear you know how it is for you guys. Fortunately for my family we actually try and go as often as we can whenever we can. The last time I went was last year in April and we went to visit my family there And we have a lot of things, like a lot of reasons to visit. Like, and like I said, like Iraq is underrated for its beautiful, Mm. like it has so much potential that a lot of people don't see. It's rich in history. It's one of the earliest civilizations. It's the Garden of Eden. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, of course. Essentially, I'd say heaven on earth. Honestly, it's the motherland. Where does your family live? Um, My mom's side's from Najaf which is where um, the Holy Shrine of Imam Ali is. Um, and then my dad's from another place, which a lot of people don't know. It's Diwaniya. It's like a more rural area. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, you know it? No way. Yeah. Some oh of my the God. last Jews of Iraq live there. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't I've really know them. that. But yeah, there's, yeah, a- there's the six of them. <laughs> and they've got this, um, they've got this like community center where it's like Christians, Muslims and Jewish men all sitting in a room being like, we're brothers and <laughs> like, we all get along. So and nice. I just smoke cigarettes and drink tea and I join them <laughs> yeah, for a while. That's the Iraqi um, vibe, just cigarettes and tea. Yeah. <laughs> Hearing you both speak about how beautiful Iraq is and and the pilgrimage, it it really sounds beautiful. And Emily, you get to see these places because you're a photojournalist. So could you just say how you got into that and what is it like to visit all these places? Yeah, I mean, I've been taking photographs since I was 15 or 16. And then like in my early 20s, the work started to shift and I started to spend a lot more time with communities. Um in India and um, West, yeah, I mean, like Eastern, yeah, Eastern Europe as well. And then I had like, yeah, in 2017, the opportunity to go to Iraq. And then those kind of, those past few years have just really, really shifted my work and definitely like the colonial gaze and my responsibility as like a white Westerner going into places like this. And um, I'd be very interested to know Mariam's thoughts on that because I don't know, I, pro- I get myself in knots thinking about it and trying to find the right, the right way to use my position. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been about telling the stories that I don't feel at hold mm-hmm. and using my privilege in the best way possible. And I think I've been granted access that, and I'm sure Mariam will, will have seen that, granted access that a hijabi woman or a woman of colour simply wouldn't have had. And that has had a a huge um, impact mm. on a lot of people, including myself. But it's trying to work out how can I then amplify the voices of, of Iraqis or the community I'm working with and kind of bring them along in that and really highlighting those injustices as well. But I had an opportunity in the way Marion would have come across my work was a series of videos went viral in the end of, um, the end of 2018. I think you execute it quite well. And I really, really admire 
your, your work and because no one besides our own community try and like shed light on it like for, for example with me during quarantine I sort of like empowered myself to like start an advocacy page and like utilize my platform to voice the voiceless as people would say I know it sounds cliche but and I realized like more and more as I was doing it I realized that I wanted to voice like people that I resonate with more so I would I, I started like a large scale and I still obviously like focus on other unheard issues but I try to like narrow it down to things like that are to do with my faith or like my my background or like and stuff like that. Mm. Could you just tell us like specifically what you do? Is it like you take pictures as well? No, so like it's more of just like reposting things that aren't getting enough media attention okay. um, or like writing, re- researching myself and like making it into like a little post for myself and obviously like I'm a small platform. I literally just started, but like I'm realizing that it's slowly growing. And the annoying thing is, I think with like my my activism is I'm only attracting people who I know personally or share like sort of the same views as me, mm-hmm. rather than the people who don't or people who don't come from my background. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to have like that diversity of people who don't necessarily agree with me, people who don't necessarily come from the same background as me. I think that's when I can call myself successful. How do you think the future for storytelling will turn out, you know, through social media, you know, personal accounts like Mariam's and, you know, through your photojournalism? How do you think the the future kind of looks? I was always really excited by like parallax scrolling, you know, these kind of like interactive news stories where you have like video and text and photos and you kind of like scroll down and it takes you through this entire story. And I always thought that would pick up a lot more. But um, I think there's now a lot of pressure that like a, an artist or or photographer or whatever, they have to have like a lot of strings to their bow. So you need to be able to like make film and take pictures and you need to be right. And then you've got a podcast and public speaking. And I've really, really enjoyed like having to step up and use like every medium available. And I think like, why, why, why not? Like if we've got a voice and we've got something you want to say and you've got some support, be it like 10 followers, like speak up and, and try every single avenue. But in terms of like, yeah, storytelling, I think it's kind of exciting, like how quickly we find solutions for for sharing news. Like you've seen with like TikTok and you've now got Reels on Instagram and you've now got Zoom. I think, you know, I'm really, I'm really excited to see spaces that were like privileged spaces where you'd have to get invited to the event. Now you can join via Zoom from your bedroom, like blow drying your hair. And I think it's so nice because it's dismantled a lot of like privilege in a way like we now all have access to these spaces and we should all be able to learn from people we admire it shouldn't just be for someone who knows someone who can get a ticket for free you know and i like the use of like personal accounts as well because i think that's when you really can feel empathetic for the person and it's much more influential so i definitely agree but i wanted to thank emily and miriam for coming onto our podcast and just shedding light about iraq yeah thank you guys for coming on thank you So Santos, how did you find that conversation? I definitely found out more about Iraq, more than, you know, what I've been taught in school and what I've seen through the the UK media. And yeah, it was inspiring to find out more about Emily's work and, and exactly what she does out there. Thanks for listening to Vent Weekly. I'm Santos. And I'm Sabrina. And thanks a lot to Emily and Miriam for coming on. You can find Miriam's Instagram at Miriam the Advocate and Emily's photography at Emily Gothwhite. This episode was produced by the Vent Production Team, Jess Lawson, 
Amelia Gill, Moeed Majid and Ali Adlington. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 